Now we're going to hear God speak his word. Uh, we've got three passages from Paul. The first one, Romans 13th chapter, verses 11 through 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. From 2 Corinthians 10th chapter, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And finally, from 1 Thessalonians 5th chapter, verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. All right, dare I do this? I think we're going to try it. Um, Just try this. Repeat after me. I don't know, but I've been told. Kishwaukee is mighty bold. God gives us a victory. Because Jesus came to set us free. We wear the full armor of God. With gospel boots, our feet are shod. Then there is the spirit sword. The Bible says that Christ is Lord. Lord. All right, I've got more, but we'll stop there. (laughs) We're talking about spiritual warfare today, so I thought we'd have a little fun with it, although it is a serious subject. Uh, Made all the more real to me. I just, as most of you know, I just came back from a week in West Africa, was in Sierra Leone. We were working uh, with a group of aspiring church leaders. And as we were working with them in the, in the church, by the way, uh, Sunday service last, last Sunday uh, lasted over three hours, during which I stood almost the entire time. And I am not a big sweaty man, but I've never sweated so much in my life. So if you're complaining about how long today's service is, you'll find little sympathy with me today. <laughs> but uh, as we were meeting there in the church, we, we met, we did a five-night, uh, ten-unit course on biblical shepherding. And as we would gather in the evenings at this church in Freetown, uh, we would be teaching, we would be praying, whatever. And then at a particular time in the evening, the Muslim call to prayer would go out in the background. And uh, when you talk about spiritual warfare, it's real. So let's look to the Word of God. This is our last time in the book of Ephesians. Can you believe it? Um, We, in rapid order, have walked through this marvelous letter called Walk This Way because 
seven times in English, eight times in the original language. It talks about how to walk, how to go about your life, how to live, how to conduct yourself in the Lord. And we've seen the first three chapters, the first half of the book really is about our identity in Christ, what God says is true about us. And then the second half of the book is about our duties in the Spirit. It's not just a to-do list, okay, well, believe the gospel, now you're on your own. No, it's because of the gospel. It's because Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. If you have union with Christ, if your life is hidden together with God in Christ Jesus, then you have life in him. You have life in his name and the admonition of chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled daily, day after day. Receive fresh infillings of power from on high. And then we walk with God and it changes our relationships. It changes our marriages and how we relate. It changes our parenting. It changes how we conduct ourselves in the workplace. We saw last time we were together in Ephesians two weeks ago. And now we come to this final installment, the second half of Ephesians chapter 6. Would you once again give attention to the public reading of Scripture? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in, the opening, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, in this world, we we have trouble. We will have trouble. 
All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We have the world and the devil vying for our attention. We have our own flesh, vestiges of the old sinful self. Even though we have a a new nature and we are putting to death the deeds of the flesh and living more and more unto, unto you, unto righteousness, we still have vestiges of the old sinful self and some old habit patterns and ways of thinking and doing that uh, are not becoming followers of Christ. And so we pray that you would take this few minutes that we have together to spend in your word, that you would bolster our faith, that you would build us up and uh, encourage our hearts to, to continue in the things that we have learned. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of your might, for we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, this is the conclusion. Paul starts it out saying, finally, it's the conclusion of his letter. It's the conclusion of our sermon series through this wonderful book. We already talked about walking as the repeated refrain throughout the book. We talked about the two sections of the book, how it neatly divides in the first half and second half. First is your union with Christ, your identity with Christ. The second is our duties in the Spirit. We're not left to our own devices, uh, but rather we can utilize the whole armor of God. We can utilize the whole armor of God. It's a, in the original language, it's a panoply. It's, it's every weapon at your disposal. The, the Christian soldier, so to speak, is furnished with every defensive weapon and uh, at least one offensive weapon, of course, the sword of the Spirit. And those cross-references, Bob already read them for us. They're useful, they're helpful, and I would uh, urge you to review them and to think about the armor of light and and this theme of spiritual warfare, which is found not only in Ephesians 6, but these other places in Scripture at least. And the 1 Thessalonians reference talks about the breastplate of faith and love and righteousness. in, in Ephesians 6, it talks about breastplate of righteousness. In 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the breastplate of faith and love. So, verses 14 through 17, when I've, when I've preached on this before, I've usually had some neat little diagram that I found and was able to share, and we labeled each of the parts, uh, diagrammed each of the pieces of equipment, and we explained them in detail. But I'm not going to do that today for a few reasons. Um, we've already noted that the the primary offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit. Uh, we should also note about the footwear, about having your gospel um, shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Verse 15, is shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness by the gospel of peace. There's a verse you may know in Isaiah. It says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And what is this good news? What is this gospel of peace that we bring? The good news is that there is a Savior, that God at once, at the right time, at the consummation of the ages, God has sent forth his Son. And God has also sent his Spirit rushing into our hearts by which we are made alive unto him by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're made alive together with Christ And our heart cry to our Father is Abba, Father. We cry out to Him. And and the gospel of peace that we share 
It's not just experiential peace. I mean, that's, that's part of it, the Christian life. Jesus says, you know, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. But first, we need to experience peace with God. Before you can experience the peace of God or peace from God, you need to have peace with God. You need to be reconciled to him. Because we are at war before we come to know Jesus. We are by nature children of wrath. The scriptures even say, go as far as saying, we are enemies of God. We are estranged. We are hostile to God and to the things of God. Gladly, he subdues us to himself. And we have peace. He has made peace through the blood of the cross. He has declared terms. He has sued for peace. And we don't really get a say so in that. He's dictated the terms, and the terms of, are, are the precious blood of his son, Jesus, who came and lived a perfectly obedient life, the life that we failed to live, who died a sacrificial and substitutionary death in our place, in our place, taking the wrath of God that deservingly, rightly, would have fallen upon us, that, that's fallen instead on him. And so as Colossians says, he has taken the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us in which was hostile to us, and he has taken that out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And not only that, but then Jesus bodily rose from the dead as a victor over death, sin, and hell. And it was a bodily resurrection, not just his memory living on, not just his cause continuing, not just that he was a noble person or or altruistic or, or what have you, but we believe that he physically died and he physically rose from the dead. And by holding the power of an indestructible life, he gives Holy Spirit life to us now. And one day, one day we will be changed. We will be made like him, incorruptible, immortal, imperishable, and we'll live forever with the Lord. These are the terms of peace that God has set forth. And we should all bow the knee to King Jesus in our hearts. That's the good news of the kingdom, right? Is that there's a king. And we happen to know his name. We know his identity. And we can utilize the whole armor of God. And this this passage does bear further study. Each of the uh, pieces of equipment, those cross-references are worthy of your consideration. The second main thrust of this passage, of this concluding section of the letter to the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, is to pray in the Spirit, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So so this is characteristic of people who have union with Christ. This is characteristic of people who are filled with God's Holy Spirit, who keep in step with the Spirit, who walk in the power of God's Holy Spirit day after day. They, they are prepared for spiritual conflict, for spiritual battle, and they're prepared to continue in prayer. To pray in the Spirit, as it urges us here in verse 18, is an, another outworking, an outflow of the filling of God's Holy Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 18. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? There's teaching out there that that says, well, you must have an ecstatic experience. You must show some supernatural gift and and speak in tongues or what have you. And I would say that's wrong. Not all speak in tongues, do they? And you do not have to speak in tongues 
as a sign of being filled with God's Holy Spirit. But to pray in the Spirit is to continually be filled with the Spirit and to continue in prayer, to be alert, to persevere in prayer. In accordance with Paul's two great prayers in chapters 1 and 3 in this book. And I would urge you to reflect on them. I'm not going to reread them. Uh, last Sunday, Gary and his message read uh, part of one of them. I can't remember which one. But in chapter 1, it talks about knowing the hope of his calling and, and the riches of his inheritance and the greatness of his power towards those who believe because of the resurrection of Christ. And I'd urge you in your prayer life, when you think about praying, maybe it's in the quiet of the morning before the kids are even up in the hustle and bustle of the day. Maybe it's the end of the day before you go to bed and you're, you're going through your routine and you're washing your face and brushing your teeth and all that kind of thing. And, and you think about spending a few minutes in prayer, but you're tired. What do you do? Open your Bible. Just, just open your Bible to either the prayer in Ephesians 1 or the one in chapter 3, which talks about being strengthened with spirit power in your inner person and knowing the love of God and being filled up with all the fullness of God. So when, when you think about praying, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I had to pray. I need to spend some time in prayer. I have some requests. I have some things I want to pray about, but I'm tired and I don't know what to pray, and I start praying within a few seconds, I get distracted, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about my to-do list tomorrow instead of praying. Well, a great way to keep on track is just to open your Bible. Richard Pratt wrote a whole book about this. Pray with your eyes open. Pray Scripture back to God. Pray through Ephesians 1 or, or, or through chapter 3, those verses indicated. Pray in the Spirit. Some takeaways uh, for us as we continue through the concluding message of the book of Ephesians in our sermon series, Walk This Way. Uh, head, heart, hand is the rubric we've used all the way along. I plan to use it for at least the first half of the book. Decided it was working, so we just keep doing it. Um, head, heart, hand, to know, to be, and to do. No, we're in a war. We're in a war. It's not like a war. It is a war. It is spiritual conflict. Uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll uh, remembers the gas rationing sticker on the windshield of his dad's car during World War II. And joyrides and Sunday drives were questioned because everyone was focused on the war effort and uh, saving gasoline and rubber for tires. And, and if somebody saw you doing something that seemed out of character they, they they would they would say there's a war on what are you doing there's a war on because that was so all-consuming for everybody's mind now in saying that i'm not trying to put you under the pile and say you can't have any fun as we saw in sunday school this morning the chief end of man even for presbyterians is not only to glorify god but to enjoy him forever and the message of the book of Ecclesiastes at least, at least six times is at the end of the day, thank God if you have a wife and you can have a glass of wine or whatever and give thanks to God at the end of the day and share a meal or whatever, that's good. Do that. So it's not saying that you can't enjoy life, but we do need to be aware that we are in the midst of a great conflict. Know that. Second, no, the adversary is a schemer. 
the adversary is a schemer. The adversary, the enemy of our souls, the evil one. Uh, we will pray in a few minutes. We'll pray the Lord's Prayer. And part of that prayer is, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you've been in church for a good while, as so many of you have, you, you, you may well know that there are two extremes, two errors that people make when they talk about the enemy of our souls, the father of lies, uh, Satan. One is to see sort of a devil behind every door. You know, the devil made me do it and, and to give him too much power. And some people wrongly conceive that he is the equal opposite of God. Well, he is opposed to God, but he's no equal. He, he does have power, the prince of the power of the air, but he has limits. Uh, so that's, that's good to know. The other extreme is to, is to poo-poo it, right? To, to make fun of it, to conceive of the devil as, uh, you know, some kind of comic book character wearing a skin-tight red suit with horns and a pitchfork or something, and, and you dismiss it. Both of those are grave errors to make, to give him too much due or to minimize him because our, the, our adversary is very, very real, right? Uh, the benediction today, I'll read a paragraph from 1 Peter 5, and we all know the part that talks about um, your adversary the li uh, is like a roaring lion prowling about seeking someone to devour. And so we need to be wise to his schemes. That's the admonition of Ephesians chapter 6. Be wise to his schemes. Well, I've spent a little time in East Africa as well, and I know what lions try to do. You don't have to go to Africa to know. I'm really dating myself here, Gary, but Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Y'all remember that one? Marlon Perkins. Marlon Perkins. While Jim is down in the Nile wrestling crocodiles... I'm in my luxury heliocraft drinking margaritas and, uh, you know, uh, but, but I, I know what lions do. They try to cut one out of the pack. They try to cut one out of the herd. It can be an old one. It can be a young one. It can be a sick one. It can be an injured one. It can be a strong, healthy, mature adult, a, a prime specimen. But the lions work together and they cut them out and they get them isolated. And let me just tell you in brief, isolation kills. That's one of the schemes of the adversary. To isolate you from God, to isolate you from the word of God, to isolate you from the people of God, to discourage you. Sometimes we have friends that they stop coming to church. They, they come regularly and, and they're sitting under the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the whole council, the word of God. And, and they're participating in, in the other means of grace, prayer and the sacraments of the church. And then they stop coming. And you ask, what's going on with so-and-so? How come they haven't been here for a while? Say, well, they don't want to come anymore. That's isolation. Friends, isolation kills. You get them alone and it's not good for anybody's spiritual well-doing. I have yet to talk with someone who has gone through that sort of thing. You know, their friends make excuses for them. Well, they're just going through some things. You know how it is. And, you know, I've yet to talk to someone who stayed away from the church, not because of a season of life like their loved one was in a critical situation and they were a caregiver. That's understandable. 
but who simply chose to stay away from the word of God and the people of God for a time. I've never had anybody then come back to me and say, Pastor, I haven't been here in six months. Pastor, I haven't been here in a year and a half. But, and, and I didn't read the Bible, and I wasn't hearing the word of God publicly read and taught, but it was really great for my walk with God. It was really good for me spiritually at that time. Nobody ever says that. Isolation kills. What are some of the other schemes of this crafty, cunning, cutthroat adversary. Um, you can, some of you all have read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. That's very, very interesting. If you haven't read that, a couple of classics that are accessible. You ought to read Mere Christianity. You ought to read Screwtape Letters. It's, Lewis is somewhat fanciful, but also somewhat realistic. Um, uh, a senior devil giving instructions to a junior devil. It will open your eyes. I've, I've put in the, uh, uh, Linda put in the bulletin. You guys have this? A handbook of enemy strategies? A little half thing. I'm, we're, I'm not going to read it. You can read, but here it is. You've got some devotions. You've got some fodder for your devotional life. You, you, you think to yourself in the morning, in the evening, at the lunch hour, whenever, you think, oh, I could spend some time with God, but I don't know what to do. The Bible's a big book. I don't know where to start. I tried reading Genesis. It's 50 chapters. I tried reading Isaiah. It's over 60. I quit. Well, here's some devotional material for you. Work through what John Piper shares here and what he, his insights, and each one of them is attached with a Bible reference. Look them up. Just spend some time doing that this week. Look up the reference and consider. Do not be ignorant regarding the schemes of the devil. We wrestle, we struggle, we fight. There's conflict. There's flaming darts, not literal ones but things that assail our souls. And we should be wise to these. The third item under head to know, know that we're in a war, know that the adversary is a schemer, and know that our battle is not so much against people as it is against spiritual forces. I'm not going to expand on that statement very much at all. It's not so much against people, not against flesh and blood, as it is against spiritual forces. Uh, ideas, presuppositions. And by the way, if you work with a whole bunch of folks who don't believe in Jesus the way that you do, or if you um, have a bunch of them in your extended family, you know, your Memorial Day weekend, and you know, you're kind of the resident Jesus freak, and there's nobody else like you in your family. Uh, a book that I would recommend to you, I know Jordan would agree me, with me in this, is uh, Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. Very, very accessible for how people think, their worldview, their presuppositions, and there are some ways that you can engage. Read it and then give it away. Give it to one of your coworkers or extended family members. Our battle is not so much against people as it is against spiritual forces. However, there's at least one caveat. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul singles out Alexander the coppersmith. That's kind of interesting. Anyway, there's some, there's, uh, in our takeaways, head, heart, hand, we, we've dealt with head. Let's move on to heart. Heart, to be. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be endued with strength. Be empowered by virtue of your union with Christ. You derive Holy Spirit power, resurrection power, by virtue of your identification with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's the power source. 
to other people in their worldviews, in their approaches to life, they may or may not have a game plan, but they don't have the power to pull it off if they do. We've got both. We've got God's instruction book for how we ought to walk in manners worthy of our calling in Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit resident within us who can fill us with power so that we can resist temptation, resist the devil, and live in the Spirit and have power and victory over sin. And when we fail and when we blow it, and we will, we have a great Redeemer and we can go back and receive and embrace the forgiveness that's already ours in Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Well, how much might does He have? Another great place to read in the Scriptures is Isaiah chapter 40. Um, I'm not going to read it for us in the interest of time, but read all of Isaiah chapter 40. And all Scriptures inspire, but that, man, that is a great chapter. Verses 26 through 31 talk about the fact that the stars in the heavens are still there because He is strong in His power. Not one of them goes missing. He imparts His power. He gives strength to the weary, right? Be strong in the strength of His might. That's the whole message of the book of Galatians. Is Paul is upbraiding the church in Galatia. He's a minor, I think. Um, he's saying, having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? That's a lot of people's approach to the Christian life. So, oh yeah, yeah, believe in Jesus and receive the grace of God and faith alone and Christ alone and all that, yeah. And now I'm kind of left to my own devices. Now I just gutted out my own strength. Now I pull myself up by my own spiritual bootstraps. And in the book of Galatians, Paul says, no, if you've begun by the Spirit, we've got to continue in the Spirit. Not in your own strength, in the strength of His might. So heart to be, be strong in the Lord. Be encouraged also, be encouraged. At the end of the passage, verse 22, he's talking about one of his co-laborers, one of his fellow workers in the gospel. It'd be interesting, you can trace a couple of places where Tychicus is mentioned elsewhere. I'm not going to take the time to do it today, but it's interesting to look at these different associates of Paul, these fellow gospel workers. But the point is, verse 22, he sends a person to encourage their hearts. And we see this in other places in the scripture too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul again is writing, and he says that God who comforts the downhearted comforted us by sending us a Hallmark greeting card with a gift card inside. Now, I mean, that may, that, may, that may be a good thing, but he says he comforted us by the coming, in that instance, of Titus. It's people. I can't tell you, the, I was part of a three-man mission team to West Africa uh, last week. I was your missionary to West Africa. And I can't tell you how encouraged the people were over there to have us spend that time with them. And guess what? We were mutually encouraged by their faith as well. That's what God uses. The singularly best verse, I put it there for you again, on encouragement is Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. Is today today? Will tomorrow be today when we get there? It'll still be today. And so you must encourage one another. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. Why? Because it's fun. Why? Because uh, it feels good. No. 
lest your hearts be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why. Encouragement in relationships in the body of Christ, that's not just an accessory to, to make your Christian life, you know, look flashier or something. It's needed. We need other believers in our lives who will take turns pointing us to Jesus. The, the, the role of elders in the church is to encourage the faint-hearted and to admonish the rule, unruly. And wisdom is knowing the difference. Encourage the faint-hearted, admonish the unruly. We need friends in our lives, a good friend who won't just cluck and sympathize with you all the time and always take your side, but who will challenge you and say, Bob, no, I'm not, I'm not quite sure about that. I think you might be off base there with that. That's a friend who will challenge you a little bit sometimes. We need people like that in our lives. People who will kick our tail. Can I say tail in the pulpit? Um, and who also will uh, love and encourage us. Be strong in the Lord. Be encouraged. And then hand to do. What do we do? Stand firm. That's what we do. That's the emphasis of the passage. It's great to go and study piece by piece the equipment, the whole armor of God. And we do it in uh, vacation Bible school and have the kids running around in soldier gear. That's a lot of fun. And the little song that I had us start with, you know, Kishwaki is mighty bold. You know, that's great. But the, the, the emphasis in the passage is four times. It says, stand, hold your ground, hold your position, continue in the things that you have learned, remain firm, firmly fixed in place, established because of your convictions in the gospel, in God's word. I don't know, there's movie scenes I was going to talk about, cool movie scenes, Gladiator, Braveheart, who everybody knows is the best movie of all time. You can feel free to disagree and you'd just be wrong. But, um, <laughs> but there's a saying that dates back to World War II. It says, uh, and you've heard it before, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Are you developing biblical convictions? And kids, if you're still at home, young people that are here today, are you here just because of habit? Are you here because of your parents? Or are you developing biblical convictions? Are you getting in the word of God for yourself and seeing who this great king, this great savior is and determining that in his strength, not your own, you're going to follow him? Stand firm. Uh, keep alert in prayer, right? Verse 18, stay awake. The disciples couldn't do it in Gethsemane. Some of you can't do it in the pews. Persevere. Pray for boldness. Persevere. Be steadfast. Pray. Make your supp supplications. When will we use the word supplication other than prayer? I don't know. Supplication, petition, that's not so great. Either. Your requests. Make your requests known to God and pray for boldness. Pray for Holy Spirit boldness. Now, remember, Paul is a, a prisoner in chains. This is called a prison epistle. He was in jail when he wrote this. And if anybody ever had a right to pray about their circumstances, I mean, if you would have heard from me last week, my prayers were, please, Bob, please pray that I have, the, the power is in and out here. Please pray that the power holds, because I need the air conditioning so I can sleep. 
Please pray that God would send a cool breeze because I've never sweated so much in my life. My prayers would be about my personal comfort. That's not what Paul asks for prayer for. It's not about his comfort. It's not about his safety. It's not about his release. It's that God would give him freedom of speech and confidence to make known the mystery of the gospel, this good news of this Savior King who has come, the person of Jesus who has lived and died and risen and and who everyone needs to know. Pray for all the saints, that's holy ones, set apart for God, exclusively His, different from the world, because they're like their elder brother Jesus. They're becoming more like Him. Pray for your elders here in the church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for one another. And then there's a benediction, which is a prayer of blessing. It talks about peace and love with faith from the Father and the Son. And all of this, of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we've said from Ephesians 5.18. And grace to those who love Jesus with a never-diminishing love. Let's pray. Lord, we need strength. And we need... um, strength that comes from you. We need supernatural Holy Spirit strength to cause us to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, that, that causes us to know that no temptation has overtaken us, but such as common to people, and that you who are faithful, that you provide the way of escape also along with the temptation that we may endure it, that because of the power of your Holy Spirit, there is always a way out, and we can't say the devil made me do it. So we ask for this kind of strength, and we also ask for the wisdom and humility that we would keep on confessing our sins and keep on receiving and embracing the forgiveness extended to us through the gospel of our Savior King. Amen.